You're listening to CGM Lounge. How's that work? Okay, we're, going live. <laughs> we're live. We are live. So welcome, welcome back, guys. This is CGM Lounge, of course, with Common Ground Management. And today's episode is Linda. Help me out. The economics of gentrification. The economics of gentrification. So we're going to be talking about supply, demand, market elasticity as pertains to real estate. And of course, coffee shops, coffee shops, (laughs) beatniks, artists. (laughs) (laughs) I I would be remiss to not give out the shout out. And of course, we got Linda on the track. Demon Low. Demon Low. And a special, special guest, one of our business partners. Um, in Game of Thrones heads, that's actually how we, how we came to came to pass. That's so right. Probably, it's almost two years. Yeah, and winter has come. And winter has come and gone, and we haven't gone to Mexico together yet. Yet, but Nat, I don't want to steal your thunder. What do you do? Who are you? And why are you an expert on gentrification? Because I keep it real estate. <laughs> uh, I'm Matt Monroe. I have a uh, solo law practice, uh-huh. uh, uh, Monroe Law, here in the city. And uh, uh, you guys, I guess first we talked about Game of Thrones. And uh, I was just a wee baby new business person. I've been <laughs> lawyering for a while, but had never uh, set out in the um, uh, in adventures in capitalism. And uh, you guys Show, show me the ropes yeah. uh, and so um, uh, yeah uh, relationship developed and we uh, got into some real estate issues some and, funky stuff right and so uh, I guess in my, my practice primarily I represent a lot of businesses involved in real estate uh, construction companies mm-hmm. real estate um, uh, real estate developers uh, both commercial and residential and um, you know, uh, I've learned a lot of things along the way. Yeah. Uh, I love Philadelphia slash hate Philadelphia, <laughs> yeah. as we all. Do. I think it's everybody. Yeah. That's the, I think that's, that's the right. you have to. That's a prerequisite to being a Philly. I, well, <laughs> I, I was going to say now I'm uh, now I'm, I'm I'm ten years in, and yeah. so I think that's uh, about to make me a native. For sure. Oh yeah, as long as you can spell Schuylkill. Oh. Well, yeah. Well, we, well, I, the I, can, I can, can say it. anyway. I, I can finally say it. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that was a little Philadelphia joke for all of our Jamaican listeners. Uh, Linda told me we had some South African listeners the other day. So. I think we have one. One from South Africa and one from Jamaica. <sighs> don't don't pop the bubble. I mean, one is <laughs> one is the prelude to thousands. That's exactly As we right. take over yeah. in our South African territory. Um, so, speaking of South Africa, mm-hmm. um, apartheid, gentrification, white flight, the reverse of white flight, yep. economics. Reverse redlining. Reverse redlining. You know, um, one, of my fa- one of my favorite rapper of all time talked about one of my current favorite rappers. Uh, just this past weekend, Jay had a very great um, uh, freestyle in regarding redlining. And so we'll talk about it a little bit, but redlining, um, eminent domain, things that happen in urban cities that the the population, a lot of the main population doesn't really know is going on in the ether. So you, you're in zoning law. Now's a really great time for your business, but of course, as a guy with a soul, you probably have some, you know, you're probably working with people who are like, ah, I wish I didn't have to, but you're doing the stuff. So I, I, I guess in, in pertains to economics, how does real estate, in your opinion, 
mirror like the economic ebb and flow of the market and 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 how has it changed you've been here for 10 years how have you seen it switch over that decade i mean i think it's uh one of the best examples of sort of supply and demand and one of these things and one of the uh one of the notes that um uh linda gave us before um the uh we went on was about market elasticity and I had to look that up um, and it sounded like a math problem but uh, <laughs> what, what I found is it's a uh, it's an economic economic term that talks about the uh, proportional change of an economic variable mm-hmm. uh, in response to the change of another and I think that um, one of the ways that we've seen uh, that happen here in Philly um, even in the 10 years that I've been here because I think that you know the last decade is, is kind of an interesting uh, period of time because it was at the tail end after we had the uh, subprime mortgage collapse, which almost destroyed the American economy, right. the world economy, right. really, right. Um, set off one of the you know the highest uh, um, incidences of foreclosure across the country, destroyed cities like uh, Detroit completely that were completely bombed out. And uh, I heard a story recently about a guy who was uh, had purchased a, um, a large vacant plot of land there and uh, planted an orchard in the middle of the city uh, because it's been totally devastated, not by bombs, but by banks. Yeah. And it was a bad po- banking policy that led to that. Um, uh, you know. But what's happened over the last 10 years as we've kind of started to recover from that um, you had a lot of, you know, people always say millennials. Um, I, I'm technically a Gen Xer, yeah. but uh, uh, so that makes me sort of an old head in this room. But yeah. um, the, uh, but uh, you know, I guess millennials were uh, coming into their own, uh, becoming adults, wanted to move in the city. You've got all these people moving into the city, and they've got, um, and they've got money, and everybody wants to get it. And who's going to get it? It's the real estate developers start to, you know get ahead of them, they build coffee shops, things to attract them in neighborhoods where they otherwise weren't in the past, yeah. um, uh, in order to, uh, you know, they start creeping uh, further and further out, mm-hmm. and, um, and it starts to uh, drive up the real estate prices. Um, in areas of South Philly, like uh, like a Graduate Hospital, mm-hmm. 10 years ago you could still get, you know, lots of uh, uh, Sheriff sale for ten thousand dollars, maybe maybe twenty thousand dollars. Now you can't get uh, you know a house that's vacant and a shell for like less than one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars. And what we're talking about is a traditional Philadelphia postage stamp row house uh, uh, lot, right? Yeah. And um, and so that drives up the cost. What does that do to other people? Well. It drives them out. It drives them out. And, um, and, and how does it drive them out? Well, um, if you're somebody who's lived in your neighborhood for, you know, 40, 50 years and, um, you know, you've been working, maybe you inherited your house from uh, a, a late relative, or maybe you've been living there and you've been saving up, you know, you've got a good job uh, working at the airport, maybe you're working at the city or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, you're trying to, like, figure out, like, you know what? I'd like to buy a house someday if you didn't inherit a, a, a house um, or if you want to stay living in a house that you inherited. Well, once all these people start moving in, drives the price up. I mean, start to see new construction. Houses are, you know, two, three, four times as big as they were when they were traditionally built like in the 1920s, yeah. you know, 100 years ago. Um, so that value suddenly uh, where you could have a 
$50,000 house, suddenly there's a $250,000 house, $500,000 house, and upwards of a million dollars for a row home with no parking, right. you know, and, and that's, it, that's not, that's something that would have been ludicrous, uh, you know, 10 years ago, yeah. uh, but it, it, unless you were on Delancey, and that would have had uh, parking, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but now it's it's it, it's common. So the prices go up, and the people who've been living in these neighborhoods for years go out. Yeah. So I mean, just to recap a little bit, we're talking about supply, demand, market elasticity. So what that means is, well, supply is the amount of something. So in Philadelphia, we had a <coughs> we actually didn't have enough homes that could be lived in right right? so we had a huge um supply of vacants which is opportunity for developers Mm -hmm. and also in a very poor city economically right so when you talk about buying a lot for five thousand dollars ten thousand dollars is because what happened was the city depressed some neighborhoods even market east um which is you know essentially downtown Philadelphia, mm-hmm. um, east of City Hall on Market Street, that was all the major trains that go around the region, all the buses from the city and around the region. And then you got like 500,000 people underneath underground every day yeah. down there. And it was, it looked like, it looked horrible. Yeah. You know, it didn't look like it was in the middle of the fifth largest city in the, in the nation. Yeah. And so, ergo, a lot of the neighborhoods looked like that as mm-hmm. well. And, and so what that did was, like you said, create opportunity for people to come in and buy to create a new market. Yeah. So economically, for inhabitants of Philadelphia, it was a very poor city. But what that does in capitalism is it provides somebody who has investment money mm-hmm. to buy at a low rate and get a huge return on flipping that that supply. So now there's a, there's a supply for them, but there's not a supply for... A resident until yeah. they make the houses and now all of a sudden you know if I'm from New York or if I'm from DC or if I'm from another market and I'm like whoa they got you know a 1500 square foot apartment yeah for a thousand dollars in Philadelphia that's it I'm gonna come there or yeah. I'm gonna buy a house I can I can buy a house for $125,000 in Philadelphia yeah, exactly. you know the same house in New York would be 300,000 so I think what you've seen over the last 10 years as well there's a couple of different systems uh, working to create the supply and also drive up the demand. Mm-hmm. Um, social media. Yeah. So social media has been a huge communicator of what's what we now is like everyday knowledge a little yeah. bit. But think about in 2008, how would you know what a house was going for in Philadelphia or yeah. in Brooklyn? That's you exactly wouldn't, right? right. You, unless you intended to move there. Right, you wouldn't know about the market, but now with Instagram and things of that nature, where we're people are posting all this intel, renderings now, porn, renderings porn, and things like that, you can see like, oh, I'm interested in buying in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. You may have never exactly. stepped foot in Cleveland, so right. um, market elasticity means um, when something's elastic, it sways, it, it, it conforms. So when you talk about economics, elasticity means if I increase the price, um, there's probably going to be less of a response, right? Or if I decrease the price, there's going to be more of a response. So my price is fluctuating up and down with the market externally, and then I'm trying to create 
uh, an action with the consumers. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna react differently to what the price level is. So when you look at real estate, real estate is one of those very elastic industries. You know, when prices are low, mm-hmm. people aren't really you know trying to buy yeah. as far as like developers. But as soon as prices start to go up. There's more development, which means more sales, which yeah. means more of an economy around it. So how have how have you seen um, development in Philadelphia kind of tailor itself to what the market is? Is it more rentals? Mm-hmm. Is it more... Um, a slight little earthquake here at 1635. I'm okay. We're okay. I'm okay. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Tell my mom. <laughs> how have you seen, like... What kind of demand has been, what kind of supply has been created per the demand, basically? So one of the big things that you saw was um, uh, once you started, so I guess one thing was the people, right? Mm. So Philly for years had this huge brain drain, had some of the best uh, universities in the country, in the world. Yeah. You know, Uh, I mean, we've got Eds and Nets, that's what they say, all over uh, West Philly. Yeah, education and and medical um, industry here, yeah. Exactly. And then then up in North Broad, Temple. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Temple Medical Complex, uh, along with uh, all the hospitals, Hahnemann. Um, but you know, aside from those notes, you, you, a lot of the you know the, the folks would go to these schools and then move out. Mm-hmm. People started moving back in, and uh, the way that people were addressing that was um, a th- there was a shortage, and so that shortage initially did create sort of like a, a spike in, in, in values, right? right. In, in, um, and, you know, and it, it, I think it's kind of telling too, the, the numbers are made up, right? People people talk about like real estate prices as if it has inherent value. Right. I mean, it only has value because we decide that it has value. Yeah. Gold is not inherently valuable. Mm-hmm. It's just we falsely or we believe that it has some inherent value, but it doesn't. It doesn't feed you. It doesn't clothe you. Right. Um, it's just something that we decide. So people, uh, that those prices started to go up because there was an increased demand and they were perceived as, in, uh, as, as more valuable. The way that the market responded was, how do we get at that money? Yeah. Right? How do we get at that money of all the people that are coming back to the city when there is a short supply of housing? Um, you had a lot of developers who were coming in, uh, funded by hedge hedge funds, mm-hmm. a lot of New York money, um, uh, a lot of uh, some foreign money, uh, where they were like, "All right, take a lot of these old apartment buildings um, and fill them up with either students, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot cheaper to do the the renovation for students than it is to do for say like written Full grown house adult." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then um, uh, and then they're like. Um, and then they're doing new construction for condominiums, yeah. um, for uh, student housing all over the place, all over uh, all over the North Philadelphia Temple area in particular. Um, but the uh, the response was just to create more more housing, get more money, yeah. and get return on investments. And that's why you've seen like so much of a construction boom across the, across the city. Yeah, not only in the city but across the nation. You got. Baltimore, Brooklyn, I think, yeah. where it kind of started. Yeah, and I, I lived up in Brooklyn before I yeah. moved down here for love. So. <laughs> it's like the Williamsburg effect, I guess yeah. you could say, the butterfly effect from Williamsburg mm-hmm. neighborhood in Brooklyn, where, you know, I had a friend living um, in Bed-Stuy. This is probably like 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. And she lived right next to Marcy Projects. Yeah. And her two-bedroom was $2,500. And I was just like... Why would you pay that much money for a two-bedroom apartment? Yeah, like in Brooklyn. But 
now you're starting to see that happen in the, the Clevelands, the Detroits, the Phillies, the Baltimore. So um, a lot of things happen in the city. Um, Philadelphia is unique in, in and of itself because we have like the most colleges in any uh, in the urban city. Um, so yeah, I mean, you got college. I think you got like 36 major universities here, including UPenn. So UPenn kind of did this, started this off. I, I would assume um, here in Philadelphia, um, the University City kind of project. And so there's there's an interesting article about eminent domain. Have you? What's your what's your um, I guess knowledge on eminent domain, or if you have any, I do. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of interesting. It comes up in in interesting spaces, but um, one thing, and uh, and I'll I'll just talk about sort of like the legal space for a second, is uh, eminent domain basically um, allows people to it, it allows the government to uh, take land or take real estate, take property uh, for its own intended use. So if you've got um, uh, if, if the government wants to take property, say, to build a road, they can do that. I mean, there's a constitutional process. They have to uh, provide fair compensation to the property owner if they're going to take it. Uh, that's what the Constitution says. You can't, you can't uh, take the property uh, without uh, fairly compensating for it. But, um, but interestingly, it's not just, it, it has to be for a public purpose. But the way that uh, cities and governments now define public purpose has been pretty broad. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting about that is um, there was a Supreme Court case um, in uh, Connecticut, and I think it was about 10 or 15 years ago, where a local government, uh, New London in Connecticut, wanted to take property, residential property that was being used, and give it to a corporate entity. I think it was it was a pharmaceutical company, it might have been Eli Lilly or mm -hmm. something like that. I might have the company wrong. But effectively, the city wasn't taking, this was one of the first times a city, or one of the first times that we know about, that a city was trying to take private land. So you, you own a house, there's, there might be a couple of houses there. You live there, you live there all your life. The city says, you know what, I want that. And in the past, they used, they used to do it for like a road or something like that mm -hmm. and the, the balance was this one person's private interest is not uh, greater than the public need here. Right, right. What the city council in New London decided though was that they were going to take these uh, these properties these where people owned and lived there and, and hand it over to a private company because they decided, you know what, we think it would be great if we had a company here that would bring jobs. Well, the Supreme Court said that was okay. And um, and uh, and so now you have uh, basically governments have the ability uh, through due process. They have to provide notice. There has to be hearings on it, but to take private land and use it for a public benefit. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, the city of Philadelphia does do that occasionally, um, and and they don't always have uh, um, they don't always uh, do the deed recordings properly. I was involved in uh, some litigation a few years ago when uh, a client of mine purchased a property um, where uh, the, the city had uh, condemned uh, partial uh, part, uh, part of the land, uh, but they didn't actually record it properly. And so uh, it, it turned into a, a big problem. Luckily, my client's uh, title insurance company uh, paid for their uh, attorney. I, I had to get it started and got out, but the insurance company lawyer took it over. But 
uh, bottom line, it, it, it can it can wreak havoc, um, and all you have to have is uh, some people at the top deciding that they want your land and that they're going to take it, and the powerful people can do whatever they want to do with it. Yeah, and then <clears throat> we recently just saw an article in Philly Mag uh, where Philly is quoted as being the fourth highest gentrified city yeah. in the nation behind New York, L.A., and D.C., between the years 2000 ahead of, San Francisco. ahead of San Francisco which is like the most expensive city, city in the world in the or world. something yeah a friend or of mine a friend of mine just moved out to San Fran it was uh, the figures may be a tad off but I believe like 3500 for a one bedroom out in San Francisco yeah and that's probably like that's probably one of the cheaper places cheaper places yeah. so we're ahead of San Francisco and from 2000 to 2013 57 different census tracts so I guess we can qualify that as like zip codes yeah. have been classified as gentrified. And so when we talk about economics and we talk about gentrification, they go they go hand in hand. But a missing piece, and you talked about it earlier, mm-hmm. is market forces. Yeah. So real estate and politics, to me, are the two industries that have actually mastered marketing. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, uh, I, I think um, not too long ago, Forbes had Fishtown. The Fish, Forbes quoted Fishtown as the um, the poster child neighborhood for um, in the city in the in the country yeah. for development. Like, we're the hottest development neighborhood yeah. in the in the country. And so now, some guy reading the Forbes in. Omaha, Nebraska is like, oh, Fishtown. That sounds like a yeah. cool place to live, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but. At the same time, if you drive down Frankfurt Avenue, you can still see guys, you know, shooting up oh. on drugs, homeless. Dude. So yeah. you have a $500,000 house mm-hmm. a block away from, you know, absolute poverty. Night, Night of the Walking Dead. Night of the Walking Dead. Yeah. And real estate is very keen at saying up and coming, yeah. new. Right. You're, you're right, and then uh, and the closer you can you can be to the the night of the living dead, um, uh, the, the the more likely it is you're going to get or perceive that you're getting a deal. Yeah. Right. Uh, but you've got people who are now you know purchasing properties in in areas where um, they never would have in the past because of this image and this perception that it will constantly be on the up. Constantly improve. So they're banking on um, sustainable. Economics, which we know in real estate is mm-hmm. kind of like a um, an oxymoron, right? Yeah. So real estate ebbs and flows; it goes up. It's a wave, and yeah. And especially when you talk about a city that economically itself isn't really that um, sound, right? You know, still uh, the median income in Philadelphia is less than forty-five thousand dollars. That means half the city. So we're talking about. Um, 750,000 people. Yeah. Right? So that's, a, that's a larger population in Atlanta. Atlanta's total population. Yeah, well, I was going to say, in Atlanta's always, my hometown <laughs> is always blown up because there's like a tiny little donut and they would talk about greater Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. DC's population. Yeah. Um, you know, a host of other cities. So this 750,000 number, half the people in the city live on salaries, household income of less than $45,000. And even in these zip codes, where a lot of the gentrification is happening, you're seeing, okay, $300,000 home go up, $250,000 market rate home or workforce housing home go up. And the question is twofold. A, what happens to the people that were living there that actually would 
be long-term residents. Yeah. And then B, how long would said family live there given some of the infrastructure that's here in Philadelphia, the school system, which is 64 out of 64, I believe, in, uh, <laughs> in Pennsylvania counties, wow. right? Yeah. Um, so wh- what do you see? What do you think about the, the ebb that we are in now with the development mm-hmm. and then when these when these families age up and have kids and yeah. the kids are getting ready to go to school? I've heard a lot of people in this office space say, I would love to stay in Philly, but the schools are well, and what's I think, this and well, what's that. And, and, and then you get back to marketing elasticity and talking about what's happening with the schools. And um, I think that like, uh, in uh, in a lot of neighborhoods, you've seen like the, this really positive story at the time that the uh, you know um, I guess for the, you know the school reform commission uh, basically had to take over from the state, mm-hmm. and everybody was looking at like we've got to get rid of these schools. Um, they've been selling off schools because of the population drain. For the last, last 10 years, they've been selling schools. Yeah, yeah and then, uh, but, the, but you saw that recently there's been a, a number of schools that have been on the sales block for years. One in Fairhill, yeah. uh, for example, where your uh, soccer team, AC Fairhill Soccer Club is, mm-hmm. um, has been on the block forever, and, and nobody's, nobody's taken it. Yeah. Uh, then you've seen other, uh, other places like uh, Bach, uh, in uh, South Philly neighborhoods. It's turned into what, like a, a clubhouse? Of I mean, sort of, yeah. Creators and, yeah. and a bar on a rooftop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's sort of like, it, it's like its own mini fish town, yeah. right? You know, of, of small businesses. And I mean, you've got everything from like law offices to tattoo shops in there to uh, a, a bar on the roof. Um, but yeah, and, and, and I guess the, the question then is like, so, so what about everybody else, right? Yeah. What, what about the people who've been here? And I mean, I think there's been some studies and this is where re- reverse redlining comes in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because once that once your property that you've been living in for, you know, your family's had for uh, maybe, you know, 20 years, maybe you've got two generations who've, who've had this property and suddenly you've got an opportunity um, for folks who never had any generational wealth yeah. to have an asset. Right. That that was worth nothing before, but is now worth a lot. And um, and and here come the vipers. Yeah. Right. And that's reverse redlining. Redlining, of course, was like this practice that was well documented in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, where banks were just literally going on a city map and drawing a red line around black neighborhoods and saying, we're not going to loan here, because the assumption was, well, well, they were racist. But number two, (laughs) I mean, the the perception was that they were just not going to get repaid on their loans, and it was just, they just decided. And more more into that, they were giving housing loans to vets that were coming back, right? 100%. And so they said, vet, we'll give you this money, but you can't buy a house here. You have to buy it somewhere else. And they had restrictive covenants that basically <clears throat> said you could record a deed in a homeowners association that would say no black people can live here. Eventually those, you know, the Supreme Court uh, wised up and said, you know, that was unconstitutional for a number of reasons. But but now, so, so you had some policies that, that outlawed redlining, traditional redlining, but there's still evidence that it's still occurring. And oh, there was recently a story in the uh, in Philly Inquirer that compared two um, two individuals, uh, a black woman and uh, a white woman, who were applying for a loan from the same bank, and uh, very you know had very similar sort of like credit um, and and assets and everything. And the white woman was uh, approved, and the black woman was not. So um, you know, one story like that does not a trend make, but I, I think it. it but that loan, but that loan was specifically for people that lived in traditionally that's right. black neighborhoods. Yeah, so, right? that's exactly right. <laughs>
So we, we um, I'm glad you brought up redlining, and we we referenced this kind of verse before. So in the last like ten minutes, we just want to kind of go in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna recite a little bit of this verse from Jay Z, then we'll talk about like public housing here in Philadelphia, and then get into some story time. So we mentioned redlining and and eminent domain. So a little bit of the verse goes like this. Gentrify your own hood before these people do it. Claim eminent domain and have your people moving. That's a small glimpse into what Nipsey was doing. For anybody that's still confused as to what he was doing, the neighborhood is designed to keep us trapped. They redline us so property declines if you live by blacks. They depress the asset and take the property back. It's a ruthless but genius plan, in fact. So that those lines right there we i mean pretty much summed up the last 30 minutes yeah. of what we've been talking about yeah. yeah and when you look at a city like philadelphia that has um again let me talk about half the city is living in, in less than forty-five thousand dollars a year yeah then we have 25 percent of the city so again we're talking about four hundred thousand people that live um Un, you know, underneath the poverty line, so the government-sanctioned poverty line, yeah. right? We're talking about a single person living on thirteen thousand dollars a year. Yeah. That's twenty-five percent of the city. Yeah. And we have a public housing shortage, right? They stopped taking applicants in two thousand eleven. Yeah, right. Um, they're knocking down some of the towers, or mm-hmm. they've knocked down a lot of towers. Right. Um, there's talks of knocking down the remaining ones to mm-hmm. build townhomes. And then uh, PHA had these scatter sites, uh, you know, these these homes that were, were like row homes throughout yeah. neighborhoods that they would uh, have apartments in, sometimes just rent out the houses themselves to, uh, uh, on you know, Section 8 subsidized uh, vouchers, that kind of thing. Right, for a limited amount of time, what, right. 10 years? Uh, something like that. So. And then and then they've started to sell off a lot of those scattered yeah. sites, right? So what the, the reason why this episode came into play was two, two, two pieces. Um, I had a conversation with somebody last week and, you know, their understanding of real estate was the more houses that are on the market, the cheaper the houses will be, you know, mm-hmm. supply and demand, mm-hmm. which is the opposite of, you know, like when, real, when people are building, they're building because they want to get money. That's right? right. That's right. And they're building because they know that there's going to be renters, buyers, mm-hmm. etc. And then Linda and I were talking about what happens when the city says, okay, we're going to knock down this apartment building that was made to house 450, 500 people, yeah. and we're going to make a townhome mm-hmm. here that's still supposed to be for, um, that's still supposed to be for public housing, mm-hmm. but again, in that same article in Philly Mag, you know, we've been quoted as being one of the highest displaced, um, highest cities cities with the highest displacement of mm-hmm. African Americans. So what's your take on like where the city is going with is it is it like a big invisible hand driving the economic market like okay we're gonna knock down these towers, build townhomes so ten years from now is, is these will actually be suburban homes in the city mm-hmm. and we're gonna increase does that increase property value if we if we knock down these towers and build a, a nice looking town home? Does that does that drive a new customer, a new consumer into the market? How does how does that play in the wheel of supply and demand here in real estate? It depends on who who who, who fills in that vacuum and what yeah. what comes back, right? Uh, I mean, I think that what what happens when you knock down the tower or when you just start to see uh, private development come and purchase up a lot of the PHA scatter sites and start to redevelop them. The question is where do where do the poor people go, right? 
where uh, where the people and um, you know where the people where does that 25% of the population go and live yeah. if um, the places that they can continue to afford to live uh, are going away mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you it, it they're, they're gonna be living in places that are a lot more like uh, living in Atlanta um, where you basically have to walk a mile to go to a bus stop so you can get to work yeah. um, then uh, then here in Philly I mean I guess one of the things that you've got even if you're in um, some place like uh, you know 19133 Fairhill which is you know one of the you know, lowest, uh, uh, highest poverty rates in in the city traditionally. Um, at least you've got the uh, the sub. You know, yeah. you can if you if you want to work in town, you can you can get on the sub. Uh, take a, a, a it's easy to get around. But um, if if you can't do that, then you're up in the Northeast, uh, and can you afford a car? Probably not. Yeah. And so you're walking a mile. I mean, if you ever watch that show Atlanta, I mean, it's just oh, yeah. like it shows what it's like to be broke in Atlanta. Walking, yeah, walking yeah. around. Everywhere. They're always walking around on the side of a road because that's what it's like to be broke when you can't have a, a, a car and you're in a city that's not really a city. Yeah. It's, it's a big suburb. Um, and so what's gonna what, what's gonna fill in that gap? The question is, it, it, it's gonna be money. If money's going to make the decision or public policy is going to make the decision. Yeah. It's going to be the real estate market, really good at marketing, uh, or um, it's going to be the uh, government, mm -hmm. really good at marketing, mm -hmm. right? And, and who, whose message is going to win out and what's the government's message going to be, basically? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, this is something where um, the question is, is like, what's the policy, right? What, what, what are, what, what's the city's long-term plans? I, I think that we've heard in Philadelphia... Um, you know, city council and mayor have, have been talking a lot about a commitment to affordable housing, and that's great. Um, as somebody who represents developers, uh, I've, I've represented developers who are bringing affordable housing through, um, and, and, and some people are really doing it. And, and, and I'll tell you, and it's tough. Yeah. And the assumption is that people who are really doing it are making money hand over fist, and they aren't. Right. Uh, what they're doing in a lot of cases is taking a big risk and um, the people who are doing it for real um, uh, and you see uh, other people who are doing it in the uh, affordable housing as the city's viewing it and it's a lot more affordable than other things but it's like around two hundred two hundred fifty thousand dollars for yeah. a single-family home yeah so can the 25 percent who's getting displaced by the tower are they going to be able to go into that uh, 250 200,000 250,000 dollar home or are they going to be going out to the northeast right. uh, and having to walk a mile to the bus stop to get to work? Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting dilemma here in Philadelphia and other cities too. Is the Philly's not the only um, only city going through these changes? So it's, it's very interesting to talk about and, and to see. And so to kind of wrap up this segment, we talked about redlining. We talked about apartheid a little bit, gentrification. Mm -hmm. So two weeks ago, there was this um, story in the news. Um, they're gonna be taxing people for driving on major, high, major roads in Philadelphia. Oh, like, oh so was that the Tesla lane? Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, to me, this is, it seems so systemic. Yeah. I don't know. What do you? What are your takes on that? Like, it, you mean yeah, taxing people for? I mean, that's a that driving that's a, on major streets like Broad Street, I guess Market Street. Well, you know, there's there's gonna be people who can afford to do that, right? Yeah. And 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 it's I mean, it's Broad Street's gonna be the Tesla lane. 
you know, and um, and if you've got, you know, if you if you've got a broken down Hyundai, um, and you're already having a hard time, you know, putting it on something like to replace that ball tire, yeah. uh, that donut that you've been riding around <laughs> on for like a month and a half, because uh, you've got to make choices about like paying rent or your electrical bill or, or getting a new, you know, I don't even know how much a tire is anymore, a hundred bucks or whatever. Um, if you're lucky. Yeah. So uh, you know. It's gonna. It's it's like another like revenue generator that's gonna fall on the back of, of poor people and, and uh, be a, a non-issue for people who can afford it yeah. and make life a lot more convenient for them. Yeah, it's 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 amazing how public policy can kind of drive. Like you said, some of it is, um, some of it is has an intent, like redlining. Yeah. That's a direct intent, and some of it is kind of masked intent. And yeah. I think these are one of the ones that maybe not so much masked, but yeah. it's very interesting. Like the city that's plurality African American, mm-hmm. you know, we, um, 44% of the city is African American. A lot of that are people that, again, are living underneath, you know, $45,000 a year or living in poverty yeah. that bus, take the train, right. drive to work. Like some small things that happen on a like the Broad Street run is this Sunday, people won't be able to get the word. Yeah, that's it. Well, and, and I think <laughs> we talked about that too. It's like uh, you know, open streets. You know, uh, I, I and, and I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I think it's like when you see that, it's it's like it's a lot of fun to get on your bike and ride down the middle of the street. But uh, you know, one thing that didn't even occur to me, you know, when we have uh, we have breakfast on Saturday mornings up at, at Sunny's. And uh, and you and our uh, other partner Sherm, you know, pointed out like, you know, what are you gonna do if you've got to get a get to work? You gotta go now? from the east side of Broad Street to the west side of Broad Street, yeah. which the the the, um, the buses can't run, right? Because Broad Street's blocked off, so people can like walk down the street or ride a bike down the street. Yeah, you know. If you don't know, you don't know. How are you you're thinking you're going. You think yeah. you're getting up at your normal time to get to your, to get to the L if you yeah. live on 16th Street. Yeah, you know, and ride and ride the three down yeah. Cecil B. Moore, and you're like, this thing got a detour 30 minutes out of the way just for me to yeah. <laughs> get to work. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think like uh, just to be real. I mean, that just like highlights the fact that like for the most part, Black Philadelphia and White Philadelphia don't talk. Completely separated. Right. And and you know, Philadelphia is also ranked as one of the highest segregated cities in the, in the nation. And that's obvious. And it's clearly obvious. There's two Philadelphias. Um, they're building one on top of the other as, as we speak. So there's a lot of things that we can do. How, real quick, then we'll get into story time. What are some things that people can do, I guess, locally in their neighborhoods or kind of voice their opinion to try to fight against some of the stuff that they may see? I mean, I think, like, one thing is just, like, keep aligned to your city council person. I mean, that's uh, district city council people have an ungodly amount of power here. I mean, it's like they have the power to do whatever they want as yeah. it relates to zoning and land development. Councilmanic prerogative is all about real estate development. Mm-hmm. Councilmanic prerogative, people talk about it. It's a big word. Even as somebody who's involved in real estate and understands that it's a, it's a thing, it's a concept and nobody's really boiling it down it's about the power to decide what happens with real estate development period period it is the it, you listen to city girls no oh, okay. should i well, hit that oh, period, period. kind of hard, hard period like, <laughs> i have heard that i thought i heard janelle monet say something like that oh yeah it's a thing now it well, is go ahead. okay is... but in any event 
district city council people basically they can they can open the floodgates or they can close them. Yeah. They can decide they want you you want to put up a tower, they can make that decision. They you want to do affordable housing, they can make that decision. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think some some decent legislation that we've seen uh, related to gentrification was uh, related to loop uh, not um, yeah, loop is the low income owner occupied property uh, plan that basically said, okay, values are going way up. If you're, uh, if you, which means property taxes are going way up before they get too jacked up. Um, if you've lived in your property uh, for 10 years or more and you make below a certain amount of money, I think it's like $75,000, yeah. we're going to freeze your taxes as long as you're there. And, you know, that's, that's one policy. Um, and there's got to be others. So keep a line to your city council people. This is an election year. You know, people, you know, uh, People traditionally rarely come out to vote. People think it doesn't matter. And when you're talking about president, you're probably right. Probably doesn't. Maybe it makes you feel good or, you know, it's part of the process. But the stuff that does matter, city council votes. There's been city council races that have been decided on 30, 40 votes. Yeah. You know? So um, stay on top of them, talk to them, and and really just try to educate your community and, and come out. I mean, there's... Um, get involved in your local registered community organization. Yeah. Those are the groups that anytime somebody's trying to do something more than they're allowed to do under the zoning code, you know, which says how high you can build a building or what type of use you can put there, they have to give notice to a local community group. Mm-hmm. Go, go out and join, go, start going to those meetings, sit down, listen to what people have to say, and, um, and I'm going to tell you, and this is not just because I'm a zoning lawyer, it, don't just say no to everything because yeah. you lose your leverage completely. Yeah. Going to a, a, an RCO meeting, a registered community organization, local community zoning meeting, sounds boring, sounds like Parks and Rec. It kind of is, yeah. right? But just show up. If you, if you kind of figure out how it works, what the process is, you can actually affect some change. And when I say, like, you don't, people don't like change, right? People are afraid of it. But one thing that happens is um, don't just go and say no just because you don't want things to change. Right. Use it as an opportunity to negotiate because they're coming to ask, and my clients will hate me for saying this, they're coming to ask you for something um, uh, and then you, you have an opportunity to ask them for something. Some, some neighborhoods will say, we want you to put in a street tree. Um, you know, some will say, we, we want you to take out the street trees. Um, uh, but there, there's different things that you can do uh, to, to make sure that when you're giving something uh, to the developer, that they uh, give something back or, at a minimum, uh, create a minimal negative impact on the community. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing. Awesome. I mean, <laughs> today's episode was great. We'd be remiss to end it by not having story time. So story time is usually a, about a germane instance um, to what we talked about. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't think of any better Jermaine instance than the last episode of Game of Thrones. Well, let's just talk about I mean, that that's all about real estate. Yeah. <laughs> it's about control of an entire country, Westeros. Westeros. Oh, yeah. Is it a continent or a country? Oh, that's a good question. Is it on a different planet? Uh, who knows? <laughs> but what did you think about... How did you think about the episode? I mean, if you didn't see it by now, it's it's Friday. It came out five days ago. I mean, you can turn off the live or the podcast. But what did you think about the last episode? Uh, I was going to say, well, I mean, it was intense. I watched it twice. I was actually out of the country, and I made sure that I could figure out a way to watch it. Get HBO in Mexico? Sort of a bootleg uh, VPN, and I felt like it was the most high-tech thing I ever did. But um, it was intense. Um, You know, this great threat this great white threat uh, the white walkers the night king the white 
Let's let's keep it real. Uh, keep it real estate. Let's do it. Let's keep it real estate. That's exactly right. Uh, this great white threat uh, with the Night King uh, was, came through the wall, and uh, they got they went into a war. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I thought it was a little bit anticlimactic, but I think when uh, and spoiler alert, what happens? And so if you haven't seen it, turn this off. But uh, we had the greatest assassin of Westeros, um, uh, Arya Stark, come out, stab the Night King in the heart, and kind of like. I think that was a great example of white fragility. It just goes to show you all it took was one knife to the heart and the whole thing fell apart. So the key to this podcast is, folks, be the knife to the heart. <laughs> be Arya Stark. Live your best life. What you can... No, I mean, seriously. I mean, I, entrepreneurship I is, uh, is dragon glass. Entrepreneurship <laughs> is... It, it is going into uh, to train. It is going blind. It yeah. is almost dying two or three times. A girl has Definitely. no name. A girl has no name. This is uh, Common Ground Management. I'm Dominique Landry. Matt, how can they find you? How can they contact you? <laughs> you can check out my website at monroelaw.co or you can email me at m at monroelaw.co and also just note it's .co, not .com. So it wasn't a... Is it is it a typo if you said it? Too? I guess not. It was it's a that was correct. Yeah, a Spokio. It wasn't it was a Spokio. <laughs> it is .co. So yeah. Matt, it's a pleasure, brother. As always, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow morning yes, at sir. our board meeting. Guys, um, this is Common Ground Management. You can find us at CGM Philly everywhere. Um, well, CGM Philly, Philly comma everywhere. So that'd be Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, our website cgmphilly.com. Get a bunch of cool things on there. Price quotes for everything that we do. And then also uh, info at cgmphilly.com. If you're watching this, you can listen to it again because you got to listen to it twice um, on Spotify, on Apple, iTunes, podcast, on Google Podcast. And uh, we appreciate your time. And today was a, it was a fun episode. It was yeah. a lot of stuff. It was action-packed. Um, so we might have to run it back because there's a lot of things we didn't talk about. But definitely a pleasure to have you guys. Appreciate it, Matt. Come back anytime. Yes, sir.